There he is. I didn't want Ferber to be the last one this time. That was yeah. kind of you. You're so uh, generous. Yeah. Anyway. I like to think of myself as like a like a setup man. Like I come in <laughs> in the eighth inning. <laughs> Did Dave? Does that make Dave the closer? Yeah. I don't know. Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin States in the West End of Richmond, where it is Thursday, January the 19th. Cavaliers coming off of a, I mean, I want to say solid. Uh, I want to say fine. It was a good win, convincing. It wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't earth shattering, you know, uh, 78-68 win over Virginia Tech. A Virginia Tech team that obviously is is in the midst of a, a, a long losing streak, but uh, I think the team that we saw last night against UVA would have won uh, a lot more games had uh, that been the team that Mike Young could put on the floor. Um, but yeah, we will we will get into obviously that victory over the Hokies. Uh, listen, you run a UVA podcast. Anytime you beat Tech in anything, you get to talk about it. Okay, it's just the just the nature of the beast, right? But we're also going to talk about Kihei Clark, who is now Virginia's winningest player in program history um I, I just i found it really funny that both tony and, and kihei sort of mentioned the little asterisk that goes next to that but man look wins are wins and that kid's got a lot um so anyway before we get started let's go around and introduce everybody first in charlottesville editor-in-chief justin ferber's on the program how's it going my dude did you just go to me first i did were you trying to see if i was back i was all right well guess what you I were <laughs> just an underscore ferber on twitter <laughs> Reese Beekman also passed last night because he had like seven assists. Right? Wow, that was you, you were so much better off, and then you tried and you failed. Well, Dave's got something better than I. That was almost as bad I as your as now. your no rice in the um no rice in the uh media meal joke when I was trying to yeah, tell y'all that the the rice kid wasn't playing. Although I don't know, man, I thought for sure you didn't understand what I was saying, and no, you tried to, and then you tried <laughs> to do that thing I did that one time. Who was it? It was somebody was coming back and I was pretending like he was getting whatever. And then I tried to play it off and you guys were like, nah, you didn't know. And I was like, yeah, I didn't know. Anyway. Um, no, I knew I actually did know. I, I swear. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure. In Fishersville editor, uh, sorry, uh, podcast board. <laughs> wow. What is your title, Dave? I'm the editor. I'll tell you that. Wow. (laughs) wow. That would be quite a, you know what we should do? We should do like Freaky Friday where y'all switch roles and Dave has to write all the content for the week and Ferber's moderating Mm -hmm. the board. Anyway, board moderator du jour, David Spence is also on the program. How's it going, my friend? That's going pretty good because I'm not not writing all the content. So (laughs) two days on the board, two days on Twitter. Cavs Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore corner great place for the in-game updates the content items and the occasional what do you answer um i don't think i i don't know why i decided to do that i just did it like in the in the like in the moment i just was like you know i'm gonna, I'm gonna throw him a curveball that was very gotcha it yeah. was wasn't it I, it'd I, be like I, if uva came out in a two three zone on saturday or something. it'd be like, like if uva like came out in jerseys. orange jerseys whoa <laughs> yeah. we've been doing this podcast together too long all right 78 68 virginia over virginia tech cavaliers shoot 50 percent from the floor uh 35 from three but for once, 
Really nice afternoon or evening, I guess, at the free throw line. 12 of 13 from the charity straight for a nice old 92%. Um, and only five turnovers, which I thought was a – their efficiency, I think, was – and I mentioned this on Twitter. I mean, I thought their efficiency was was the key. Uh, Tech hit 13 three-pointers in the game, I believe. Um, I'm looking at my numbers. I guess it was 12. Um, I, I I think I'm, uh, there, there are many Virginia teams that would have lost that game, I think we can agree. Um Tech played well enough to win, just was not able to be consistent enough down the stretch. Um, obviously, Kihei Clark had a huge night. 20 points, 7 of 14 shooting, 2 of 5 from 3. He had 5 assists, a couple of boards, just one turnover, 35 minutes. Virginia also put four others in double figures, including Armand Franklin, who had 15 on 6 of 9 shooting. Um, I mean, you could really make some hay out of the free throw disparity in this game. Virginia made 12, took 13. Tech only took 2, made both of them. Um, Mike Young certainly, uh, when, <laughs> when Dowdy tried to, I don't know if Doug actually tried to set him up to, uh, to get a fine or whatever, but it, it, it in, in other environs, it could have, uh, it that would have been really messed up if he was like, let's get this guy fine. <laughs> it would, but he asked a question and Mike just kind of stared at him for a few seconds, which is actually pretty funny. Anyway, um, I, I thought Virginia played well enough for her to, to not just win the game, but to win the game well, you know, handedly. Right. And I thought Tech made a, a lot of tough shots. Uh, I thought the the Basili kid hit a couple of threes that I didn't. I, I just didn't see him um, having that sort of um, game against UVA, especially when UVA goes small. Um, I, I just, I, I guess, I I expected more from Justin Mutz, and Couture played a lot more minutes than I thought. What were your overall thoughts leaving JPJ last night? Yeah, I thought UVA came out on the good end of a really well-played game, honestly. You know, you mentioned the free throws. Not a lot of fouls in the game. Not a lot of turnovers either. Um, I had the box score in front of me just now, but it wasn't many. Um, yeah, eight to five. So, like, pretty pretty clean pretty clean game. Um, yeah, I thought the good start was probably, you know, a big catalyst in them winning because Tech eventually did go on that run, but all they were really able to do was like pull even. I know they took a lead, but you know, they never got it past like two. So, you know, I thought UVA did a lot of different things. Well, they got the small lineup. I thought thrived, you know, they got to the basket. They hit timely shots, even though they didn't knock down as many threes as tech did, you know, the, the ones they hit were pretty big shots. I mean, Vanderplas had one, you know, to give them the lead back, I think like 29, 26 or something like that. And, there were a few down the stretch that were pretty big shots to kind of, you know, keep the deficit text deficit where it was, or maybe like give UVA a little bit more breathing room. But yeah, like I really thought that, um, you know, I think if tech plays like that in the rest of their games, they're going to win. They're going to end up, their lead record is one and six. They'll end up closer to like 500. I think mm -hmm. um, if they play like that, um, obviously there's no guarantee you're going to play that well every game, but yeah, I mean, I thought UVA did a lot of good things. I thought there were a lot of players that played well. You know, Kihei had a nice game, but Reese also had a nice game. I thought Armand Franklin did a lot of good things. Um, you know, Brian Dunn, I'm sure we'll get to him, like didn't score much. But, you know, I thought he had a pretty good mature performance on defense against Justin Mutz and got some stops. And, I mean, the whole starting lineup was in double figures. So, like, even Gardner had 12, you know, um, yeah, Armand had 15. So, I mean, I thought it was just a well-played game all around. I thought they played with a lot of energy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of good to see them keep it rolling. I know Saturday's game is going to be tough, but this was definitely a good one to get because Tech didn't roll over. They played pretty well. So, um, kudos to UVA for almost dropping 80 points. Yeah. I thought, too, Dave, in the 
I feel like in a lot of these kinds of games where, you know, UVA has a lead and the other team sort of chips away at it, um, you know, there's like a um, – there's that lull, right? And then the question is, how does UVA respond to the lull that inevitably will happen, right? That drought that, that they inevitably have. And I thought, realistically, like, there was a stretch, I want to say – maybe middle-ish, you know, under 12-ish in that time frame where they pushed a lead. I think it was from, um, you know, I think there were, it was like a, um, it was like 51-49 tech and then UVA came, McNeely hit a couple of free throws. He had a jumper. Kia had a couple of free throws. And, and you just kind of felt like Virginia's energies ch- shifted a little bit. And I, I got the sense that like every time tech started to try to mount a, a little bit of a real, you know, run. I think they had this other like six to two thing in there somewhere. But Kihei hit a couple of really timely threes. Jaden Gardner hit a, um, you know, a couple of shots, and it just felt like they had the response. And that's that's the thing that I think you know we can talk about elite defense. We can talk about three point shooting. To me, the difference between elite Virginia teams and not elite Virginia teams, right? So the the teams that would love that have that potential but just can't quite get there. It's the response, right? Because inevitably, the offense will. It doesn't matter who they throw out there. The offense will have a, that moment of lull. And the question is whether or not, you know, they're able to make the plays at the right times to get them in a position to win. And they did that last night. What were your overall thoughts of the game? Other than, obviously, you no longer like Reese Beekman because he clearly uh, talked some smack um, after that dunk. This thing never happened. No, we, we're going we're gonna to milk that cow life. forever. Yeah, um, yeah, that's for sure. No, it's funny. I think I texted you guys right before the, I think it was right before the game. Might have been after I saw the starting lineup, but I mean, I thought the game was going to come down to turnovers and three point shooting. Um, and UVA won the turnover battle. Well, both teams are really good. Um, you know, eight to five. And then, um, you know, Tech shot the three better, but Virginia shot it decent, especially as the game wore on. Right. I think the key, believe it or not, was the first five minutes of the game. You know, Virginia yeah, I mean, came they, out in a raucous atmosphere. In and did not settle for threes. They had they attacked the rim. I think their first four, 14 points were either free throws on and ones done in Franklin or layups. Um, so they were up 14 to five and hadn't made a three yet. And if you look at the way the game played out, that was pretty much the margin at the end. Um, and when, like you mentioned, when things got tight and then the second half, even in the first, um, Jaden made two shots when Virginia only had a two point lead to kind of stretch it back out. So yeah, it was just timely shots and not settling for threes. The threes they took, um, I think the only one you could say they probably settled for those two done shot early three in the shot yeah. clock, um, which I'm fine with seeing some aggression out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of one against the shot clock that Kihei hit on the second half, um, where for some reason Padula thought he was going to draw it, but Kia had already picked up his dribble and he kind of <laughs> pump faked him and got an open look and buried it. Um, but the rest of the threes were good, were good shots and rhythm in the offense, um, which is I think what you see a lot when Virginia gets in those in those ruts. You know, um, you know every team gets in those. For some reason Virginia fans just feel it more. Um, but yeah, it's when they are in the rut though they start their offense just isn't running. They start settling for forcing threes sometimes. And last night they didn't do that. And I was a little worried with all the hype, you know, with who was in the crowd um, that they might want to show off. But (laughs) I thought it was funny. Maybe they were afraid to shoot in front of Steph. Um, 
and miss. So they drove, but whatever, you know, I like the, I like the energy from the tip. Um, and I keep meaning to do it, but I've got to at some point go look at the scoring differential for Virginia and that first up to the first TV timeout. Cause I feel like they dominate almost every game there. Um, last night though, they just managed to kind of reboot it, um, with the kind of the new, new lineup, mm-hmm. you know, to me, and I'm sure for you guys too, like the thing that surprised me more than anything last night was when I heard the sub buzzer at like 18, 17 or yeah. whatever it was and yeah. it came done, you know? Yeah. I, a couple of thoughts. One, well, actually, let me talk about Ryan Dunn first because I want to get to Kike Clark, and I feel like that's going to be an extended portion of the conversation. Um, yeah, I was surprised for, to see him go in as early as he did. Um, I, I thought him as the small ball five, it, it's, not, it's not a thing that, can, that you can necessarily ride all the time. It has to be the right matchup, right? There are some teams that would, would just eat you alive. Um, and it, on, let's be real, it wouldn't be fair to the kid to throw him in there in that situation. But I thought his his overall play in this game, it wasn't necessarily the difference maker, but it sure made a difference. You know what I'm saying? Like, he really did impress me. I mean, his it, this was like the perfect sort of use case for him in the sense of like he scores three points, he's one of four from the floor, but he played 40, or excuse me, 24 minutes. And if you look at his, um, his plus minus, he's plus 15 in this game, all right? To put that in perspective, Beekman was plus 16. Um, I, I just thought that he was absolutely essential. And it's not – I don't want to make a bigger deal of it than than it was because ultimately um, I, I do think that, you know, he he played a big part in limiting how – like how um, how much Justin Mutz was able to, to score. Uh, I, I thought overall his, his athleticism – was the difference. And it's something we've all talked about, right? But but we've talked about it in the sense of like having a guy that you can move between multiple like wing positions. His ability to sort of play much bigger than he is, um, like I said, I, it's not something they're going to be able to use a lot, but it's a kind of perfect fit for when they do go small. Um, if they're able to keep those dudes on the floor, man, that offense, it, it, it does kind of change a little bit. And again, they don't need Ryan Dunn to score a lot of them, but what he gives them on the other end, it reminded me a lot, honestly, of the whole Braxton Dre kind of switching and, and you know whatnot. Like on one end of the floor, they're kind of this way; on the other end of the floor, they're that way. And there were times where the only reason that worked was because Braxton could play bigger than he was. You know, it's not quite apples to apples, but to me, it's just it shows the that for all the people who think that Tony is is too. Um, set in his ways and he doesn't he doesn't adapt he doesn't change that's a wrinkle that I'm really glad to see them not only deploying but learning how to really deploy well because I thought this was the perfect situation for it um, it really it goes kind of counter to what we've seen in the past which is that historically UVA doesn't ha- they don't have an advantage like that and then really use it right a lot of times the advantage they get is from efficiency right the advantages they get are from oh, the defense is really elite and the other team just can't be efficient enough, right? Personnel-wise, you rarely see Virginia do a thing like this where they're like going to dare the other team to counter it and, and make them change out of it. And I really liked what I saw from, from Dunn. Ferber, when you, when you watch Ryan Dunn, my, my, you know, I'm, I'm like the, the CEO of the, um, the Ryan Dunn fan club here. Um, what, 
do you feel like what you saw last night is something they can use more of? Do you feel like it's fool's gold? Where where do you fall on that spectrum? I think I think the way you described it is a pretty good way to do it, which is like in some games you're going to be able to ride that a lot in other games. And sometimes they might even use it more than they did last night where if like he's playing really well and maybe somebody's in foul trouble or something, you know, you give him some extended minutes. And I think that's one of the reasons you saw him so much early is because I think, was it Vanderplas picked up the early foul and took yeah. him out of the game? Yep. He kind of like, you know, came in for him and played a lot. But um, yeah, I mean, I think what, what we saw last night was um, sort of, more so than anything to me, it was just a maturation um, because I think like, you know, we talked a lot earlier in the season about like when he's out there, what he's bringing is like a high ceiling potential. He can go out and get you some rebounds. He can get you some stops. He can have a few flash plays here and there, but we know that his offensive game is sort of like a work in progress still. I think what we saw last night was more solid, just like fitting in with the team on the defensive end basketball and that's mm-hmm. what's going to get you on the court. So, like, you know, I think, like, in some of these games, he would have, like, a flash play, and then he'd have a play. What was it? I can't remember what game it was where he was on a guard, and the guard basically just, like, took it to him, like, three mm-hmm. possessions in a row. I think it was, it was JMU. JMU. Yeah, it was JMU. Yeah, and it was like, okay, like, you know, that's a learning experience. But, like, last night, I, I texted you guys during the game. Like, it-, it felt to me, and I completely understand why he would do this, but it kind of felt to me like Justin Mutz was like, let me see what this dude can do. Like, and he just like really took it to him and couldn't score. Like he just wasn't able to get good, good looks. And I thought Dunn's performance there um, was really big because tech was kind of struggling on the offensive end. At one point UVA had like twice as many field goal attempts as they did like yeah. pretty early in the game. Yeah. And, you know, I think Mutz is a kind of guy that can just get you a bucket and kind of stop the bleeding. And they didn't really let him do that. And I think Dunn was a big part of that. So I think, yeah, there's going to be times where you're going to see him out there a lot. And there's going to be other games where maybe, you know, he comes in and gives you something off the bench here and there. But um, ultimately, uh, you know, as the games go on, and this is sort of what I think we all would have probably expected. um, He looks more and more comfortable and it's less like, I don't want to say like, I don't want people to get the wrong idea, but he's like less of a liability, you know, like a freshman, a lot of times in this defense doesn't play because like, it's like if all five pieces aren't working together, it doesn't work. Yeah. And one guy is kind of like being too slow to right. react to stuff can really right. mess things up. And it seems to me like the game is like a little slower for him now. Yeah. Um, and I he's coming along. So yeah, to your yeah. point, it was, um, so Vanderpost gets called for that first foul, 18, 18 on the clock. Vasily comes in, makes both free throws, ties it up at two to two. Dunn it, on the next defensive possession has a block shot on Vasily. And I mean, Virginia rolled from then on. I mean, they went on a run. They're up by and nine. They got it to like 11 to two, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I, I think your point about sort of his, his early impact and sort of setting that tone was important. Dave, in terms of what you did, did last night change your expectations on what year one can be for him? Or was this just a, a really good sign going in the right direction? I mean, I think he's pointing in the right direction. Um, I mean, I think we have to remember there's still a lot of ACC season left. You know, we're not even halfway through it yet. Um, so he's got time to to make impacts. And, you know, that's what good teams have. You know, they have players that right. might be two or three games, they pop up and, and help you. I think, you know, as good as he was last night, the reason he's able to get those minutes is because Reese is healthy now and he's doing what he did at the beginning of the year. Um, Franklin is kind of, stabilized and become the player, you know, Virginia likes him to be. And quite frankly, even though he wasn't, he subbed in for him. 
I think BVP has given the team enough consistency where Tony, you've got four guys you can put around done. Um, they're going to help, you know, they are going to be steady and do their thing. So it gives, you're not in the situation where when Dunn's out there, you know, Dunn's out there with someone who can't score or doesn't hurt your lineup scoring wise. So I think that'll help get them more minutes. Um, and then, you know, the one thing this team isn't is great defensively, like Tony Bennett, great defensively. And I think the key, if you could get done up to speed, um, they can become a better team. You know, I don't, I don't know what the lineup is. Like if you've got to get a stop, I don't know what five you run out there right now, uh, but Dunn's probably in it. Um, and the more minutes he can get, the more likely he will definitely be in it moving forward. Cause to me, that's what Virginia's got to find. Right. Um, their offense, I think we kind of know what it's going to be. Some nights it's going to be good. Some nights it's going to be not as good. It's not going to be the best in the country, but good enough to win games if their defense can make stops when they need to. And unusually, that's kind of what we've seen with this team is, you know, we always talk about like you know, with, with Virginia teams, would you rather one shot, would you rather be on defense or offense? I think this team I'd prefer offense, um, but you need to, I think if Dunn can continue on the path and, you know, Shedrick can kind of get back to where he was uh, and BVP and Franklin and Reese can stay progressing, maybe, you know, the defense can be much improved by the time the tournament rolls around. Yeah. To put this in perspective, just from a scoring standpoint, um, so last night Virginia scored 1.279 points per possession. At Florida State it was 1.13 at, for the Carolina game, it was just over one. The Syracuse win was 1.15. So, I mean, listen, I, I, I think listening to Mike Young talk about Virginia Tech's defense and how you know UVA really sort of messed them up, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if what I saw last night was because UVA just really executed at a high level, or if they were just really taking advantage of mismatches or a little bit of column A, little column B. All I know is is that if that's what if what we saw last night is what we can expect from this team if that's if that's consistency. I will say I think Armand Franklin has played even though he hasn't been lighting it up from 3, he's been hitting enough of those and also finding other ways to impact the game as we've talked about that is really important. Um Vanderplas clearly, you know, he's not just hitting a couple shots here and there. He's making some real contributions and I, I think the fact that it's coming when he's getting some real minutes is probably, I mean, I think there's probably some um, relation there. The biggest piece of this puzzle, to me, continues to be Kihei Clark. And, I mean, y- y- if you want to talk about, um, you know, times he got by the Padula kid last night, I mean, you know, whatever one that is, that was one of many. You know I mean? Like, that that poor kid, I, I, don't, I don't know if I've seen a guard just get absolutely just owned in the ACC. Um Definitely not this season, if not you know in a while. The way Kihei owned him last night, I I, I just was really shocked um, because I think that kid's not. I mean, I don't think he's like all ACC good, but he's certainly a you know a, a you know a pretty decent point guard. And Kihei just absolutely just owned him left and right. Um, I'm not saying that Kihei is going to come out here scoring 20 points against everybody, um, but I do think that his his contributions last night just highlighted how effective he can be, not just when he's playing within himself and he's doing what he he can do and do well, but his his 
his surrounding cast fits him really well, especially when, when now that Beekman's healthy again. And I think after that dunk, we, we all agree that he's, he's, if he's not a hundred percent, he's like 90 something and it's pretty high. Right. Um, but with, you know, Franklin making contributions and Vanderplas giving him minutes and Dunn doing what he's doing, um, you know, if Jaden Gardner is going to hit, you know, he's going to shoot whatever, five of six from the floor or whatever it was. I, I just felt like Kihei is not only – I think that's the piece that a lot of people are missing with him. Is it's not just that he's playing a high level. He is. It's also that he's got the right s- surrounding cast with him in it. And that has not always been the case in his career. And there have been times where he's been asked to do more than he should have been asked to do. Um, and with this team, I think he's in, like, the perfect situation. And I think it's pretty cool that, you know, he's having the kind of year he's having at considering, you know – some of the, um, you know, the unfortunate, um, I don't want to call it backlash, uh, static he's caught from fans at times, Ferber. I mean, I feel like, you know, he went from being like the the dynamite freshman unexpected co- contributor on a national championship team to being the guy who uh, fans were kind of ready to see go. Um, and now he's back and, you know, playing, you know, obviously his best ball to this point. Um this season, how has it changed your perception of Kihei and his place in UVA basketball history? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, well, first off, like after the season last year, I mean, we talked on the show about like what they should do with the roster. And I said, like, I think the team's better off if they have Kihei than if he just like doesn't play basketball ever again. But I also, you know, wondered out loud if maybe they'd be better off if he didn't come back and they could get someone else, you know, like a transfer in the backcourt with Reese. That's maybe more of just a pure scoring guard. And then, you know, somebody that can also handle the ball. I, I, I think, you know, a lot of the things you said are true. I think the the supporting cast around him last year didn't feel like a great fit. Um, and, you know, like I thought the backcourt got a little static at times. They just couldn't, as a team, shoot the ball well enough to have two guys that – I think Kihei, I mean, like he's a pretty good shooter, but last year his numbers, I don't have them in front of me, but they were like pretty pedestrian for him, you know, like I thought. And um, I think, you know, Reese's, Reese's shooting has come a long way, but, you know, that's not what he's known for either. So, um, and it's hard when you're like looking to, you know, like last year they were so dependent on like mid-range jumpers and things like that to score. And, um, you know, you look at the team and it's like a lot of the same guys, right? So you kind of think, okay, like, how are they going to find a way to push this to the next level? But the one thing they do have this year that they didn't last year is depth, a little bit more experience. And then you have Vanderplas. And I think he makes a difference when he's playing well. And I think he kind of is like the X factor in this season because, you know, when he's playing well, they're winning. When he went through that stretch where he wasn't playing well, they lost. Um, so I think that's something to keep an eye on. But yeah, I think he is playing the best basketball of his career. I think he looks really comfortable out there. Um, I think if there's one thing that I was probably the most wrong about with him is that I just assumed that, you know, we had kind of seen him at his ceiling, you know, in the last over the course of the last four years. I think his best year was his second or third year. I don't have the numbers in front of me more so than last year, but um yeah, I think he has certainly raised the ceiling of his play, you know, this year. And he he plays like the mature fifth year player that he is. Um, you know, his turnover numbers are good. His assist numbers are way up. Um, I think it's tied for the best of his career. His three point shooting has been better. Um, you know, you're right. He's not being asked to do as much, but I think because of that, things have kind of opened up for him. 
you know, defenses don't have to be as worried about Kihei, so he kind of takes advantage of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, he's been super impressive. I don't really think like, um, I mean, we'll see how this season plays out. I don't really feel like it would be fair if he had not come back to be like, he doesn't have a good place in UVA basketball history or anything like that. I mean, he was on the national title team, um, and he was a four-year starter. So, um, I think that's more in the definition. I think the people that were like the most anti-Kihei have been a little quieter, um, and and I think part of that is because he's doing what he wasn't always able to do, which is just like be consistent. And if you look at his look at his field goal percentage, right? Like his free, his three point percentage is up a little bit, but his field goal percentage is up considerably. And it's because he last year he missed a lot of layups and stuff around the rim where he got shots blocked and just didn't convert specifically on two pointers. And this year he's been making them. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is craftiness getting to the rim, but a lot of it too is like they can shoot the ball. So teams can't just crash around the rim and like not be ready for kickouts. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I think he he fits well with this team. They've really like, I think, um, exploited his leadership. And I think like the, he's seen so many different versions of basketball at this point that um, he definitely raises the ceiling of where this team could go in some like tough games. Um, when you get to the postseason. I feel like in the big scheme of things, you know, if you think about Kihei and his contributions to the program, I, I think people were always going to um, to see him as a central figure in a championship run that, I mean, listen, he, unless Virginia rolls off a whole bunch of national championships at some point, like that's there's that, that year's never going to lose it's never not going to be special right like it's always going to be special and his place in that especially considering the role he played um not just through the regular season but certainly in the postseason the the win to get to the final four you know he he, he was a key contributor on those team on that team and and, and throughout that season right I, I don't think that that his place necessarily would have been changed. What I do think though, is that, that I do, I do think that there's this like, it's not recency bias, but I I think that fans struggle with things that they see over and over and over again. Right. Um, think of like a, a a quarterback, right. Who's going to be a top draft pick. And then he comes back to school and everybody just picks him apart for the whole year. Um, you know, like I, I feel like a lot of folks struggle with, this thing that happened before these other things happened. You can't look past the other things that happened. And right or wrong, had he not come back this season and had the season he's having, and we we obviously don't know where Virginia's going to finish and all that fun stuff, right? But it would be it would be hard for a lot of people to look through the last couple years, through the COVID year, and and before that, as and and only see that championship, right? And so I feel like for him to have the career he's had where he started out this incredible high and then have to work through a lot of like, you know, what amounts to just challenges, right? Where the roster, you know, was kind of shifted a little bit because guys left early. And then once they kind of got the talent, right, there's obviously the ramifications of COVID and then there's, there's guys who left early again. And so like getting the, the roster back to where it needed to be, um, you can make a real argument that his his inclusion on this team helps Virginia in that way. And I, I think if you go back, I mean, I don't remember exactly what I said 
last year. But I do remember if anything, if I said anything that agreed with the the point that you know Virginia would be quote unquote better off, I clearly was wrong. But I understand that thought process at the time, which is like, well, maybe Reese is ready to be like the point guard, and maybe you know, but the roster didn't go in that direction in part because Kihei came back. Um, but the thing I do think of is like, like Brennan Armstrong, for example, right? Brennan Armstrong had this massive season, one of the most special years a quarterback is going to have, right? He's like a stone's throw, right? Away, no pun intended, a stone's throw away from the, the single season ACC passing record, right? It, it didn't feel like it was like that far off from him, right? If he can kind of continue to be where, you know, whatever, and he ain't got hurt. But because of what happened the next year, and then certainly because he's transferring out, he's going to play at NC State, all that fun stuff. Like, it changes the way we look at that first year. And I feel like Kihei coming back and having the season he's having, and, and it's funny because, like, every every game I watch on TV, every opposing coach I hear in the press room after a home game talks about him in a way that they just, they weren't talking about him the last couple of years. And I think that's important, and I think it's – it's 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 just really interesting because this is a this is a situation you so rarely see where a guy comes in with like zero expectation, zero fanfare, has the gear he had, was such an integral part of such a special season, has a couple of tough seasons as a team, you know, moments for himself, whatever, comes back and is having this. I don't want to call it like a um, it's not a revelation, it's not an awakening or whatever, but it's something important and uh, it's really fun to see and it's very interesting to watch, Dave. Give me some thoughts on the Kihei of it all. Let me unmute so I can finish my sentence. Um, look, I, you guys have said a lot of it. I mean, and not to kind of sum it down, he's just been really good this year. You know, he clearly, you know, it's his best all-around season that, we, that we've seen from him, um, you know, at a time when this team really needs it. And – you know, he's, he's gotten to the point where this three-point shot, like when he takes it, I'm shocked when it doesn't go in. Um, I don't want to say it's like Kyle Guy expectations, but it's it's at least like senior year London Perante's expectation. Um, and honestly, if there's one thing I've enjoyed every game this year, it's just watching Kihei dog the guy with the ball the entire way up the court. Um, and the, <laughs> the, the amount of energy that guy has, like that'll be the thing I remember about him other than the pass. It's just like he's just like an energizer buddy, man. He's putting up, you know, 35, 40 minutes a game, and he's got the same intensity in his last minute as, as he does in his first. Um, I think you hit it. Like the thing I was going to say, you kind of touched it was, you know, that championship team, he was kind of the, the new, the new guy there. He wasn't really his team. And then the roster turned over so much the next couple of years. Um, I think everyone was trying to figure out their rule. And obviously when you're the guy who brings the ball up the floor, most of the time, um, your struggles are more noted than the guy who maybe doesn't run the right way or sets the screen the wrong way. Um, and, you know, I think he's been super impressive this year. And, you know, he's still occasionally driving to the lane and kind of not know what he's doing, but that seems to, you know, have reduced, but, that's maybe a correlation with now his teammates understand what, what he's going to do and they react properly. So, um, yeah, I mean, Virginia's lucky that he came back. I mean, you know, who knows what the year would have been like without him, but I know it's been 
this team has really needed him um, in its current, you know, you know this year. Um, but look, 111 wins is no joke, man. Like that's that's a lot of wins. That's I know Mamadi had 110, but you know, five years or not, like you know, let, let's assume they win nine more games this year. I mean, that's still a really good <laughs> five year run. Um, and let's not forget, one of those seasons was cut short. You know, he had several games he could potentially won disappeared um and you know the following season was two weird, of those so. seasons got cut short kind of yeah, yeah. like <laughs> yeah so it's you know and you know you, you can talk about whether he should come back or not but right now he's 100 first team all acc defense he's probably battling reese for player of the year maybe maybe some other guys but you know they're both going to be on first team all acc defensively and i don't know that kihei's not for uh second or third team, all ACC right now. Um, and maybe that's biased because I watch a lot more Virginia, but I'd have a heart, you know, if the season ended today, I think you'd be on one of those teams. And that's pretty good to ask for a guy who a lot of people didn't really care if he came back. I think at this point, one thing I will say that I, I think I just was wrong about it or however you want to phrase that. Like my thought was if they go out and get the right guy, like obviously they're better if he comes back than if he just doesn't and you don't replace him. Like, I don't think anybody would argue that. Um, But I was like, maybe you can find a guy that fits better with this team. Just given like put Reese at the one and, and make it work because like, you know, last year it just wasn't working because teams just sagged off of everybody and like dared them to shoot this year. They're not doing that. So they're able to sort of run their offense, like the way that you would expect them to. I'm pretty confident at this point that like whoever they would have gotten into the transfer portal, there's like a 95% chance that player would not have given them what key has given them. Like, you know, it would be a, it would be a loss, a net loss. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you were just talking about, I was like, man, who is going to be the ACC player of the year? Um, <laughs> I was just kind of looking at it, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that if they keep winning and everything, he'll definitely be like an all ACC player if he keeps this up, especially given his like assist numbers and the way he's played on the defensive end. I think he'll get the recognition. Yeah. And I think, look, let's, I, I want to also have this like brief little, I don't know, conversation. I don't think, I don't think that it's, it's a stretch to say that we talked as much about can you play. Kihei and Reese together as anybody did. Yeah. You know? And how many minutes is Kihei going to play? How many are they going to get? And da, da, da. like we yeah. talked a lot about right. that. And, you know, not only has he continued, I mean, you know, Mike Young made it to a point last night that, you know, he looks more physical this year. He certainly has, he is as, um, to, to my eye anyway, he seems as comfortable in what he wants to do and what he's going to do as he's ever been. Right. Um, if anything, I mean, listen, dudes aren't getting five years, right? Like that's you know, this is a this is a um, an abnormality, right? This is just a just one of those things. But he is a great example of what happens when you continue to work on your game when you when you get better. Um, what's funny is that a lot of what he does is not it's not that he's doing anything different; it's that the things he's doing he's doing differently. What I mean by that, it's not like all of a sudden he he became a, a dude who, you know, um, you're going to give the ball to and he's going to dunk on people, right? It's not like he he added that. Like, um, what he what he did is he really just sort of fine-tuned the things that he was already trying to do. 
Um, he's been not only more successful, but he's been more consistently successful. And you put those two things together and all of a sudden, you know, things kind of turn around for you. You look at his assist numbers. Um, it's, it's really rare for him to have, you know, um, one of those, you know, plays like he had one last night where the ball just slipped out of his hands and you, and you get appreciation for like, there's that, 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 that doesn't happen like all the time, you know? Um, but I think the thing about Kihei that is hard for people, it's not necessarily like, oh, you know, you were wrong and you, you know, you stand there in your wrongness. Um, good old West Wing shout out for, for those of you who, uh, who watched, but, but like very timely, right. You like that, but, yeah, that was like um, years ago. <laughs> but it's almost like for, for a lot of people, it's like, they can't just like lay down the, the, the old narratives, you know? And, and I get it. Like it, sometimes that can be hard. But like the dude is balling out, man. Like there were time, there have been times these last few games where he just made people look silly, and yeah, Padula got worked. I mean, I, he got, honest. I mean, he got absolutely worked last night. And yeah, there's zero percent chance Padula's bringing the ball up in Blacksburg. Like they're gonna have a whole <laughs> different setup. I mean, I, I mean, it's kind of off topic, but I do fully expect Tech to push UVA to the brink in Blacksburg. Oh right? yeah, no, I do too. I mean, I do too. Yeah. If not, because win. because like realistically, like if you want to just like get real like brass tacks with it, Virginia, I felt like made just enough threes, but that 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 ten point roughly differential at the free throw line, right? Um, where they you're get, not getting that on the road. You're not going like, to get that on the road, and you're probably and probably if anything, Tech's going to be even more um, aggressive in the in the home matchup and the rematch, um, which is going to be a fascinating game in and of itself. Um, but also Virginia scored 36 points in the paint to Tech's 22. I'm not expecting Tech to become a different team, but I do think that they're going to be tougher. Um, I, I think yeah. they've got more. They've got more more um, in the uh, in the tank um, defensively. Who's I think than they showed last night. <laughs> <sighs> Says Dave. Um, hey, well, all right, Virginia La- plays better in Blacksburg against them than they do in Charlottesville, so I'm not too worried. I don't about know, it. man. Yeah. You you said that you said something about the last night. I'm like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I feel that way. There was that it one time feel that I expected until you look at the results. You know, remember yeah, that year goal. Devin they and them went down there and just like hot knife through buttered them. It when was like was one the of those last games? time UVA won there. I dude. Oh well, somebody somebody pull up Kim Pom while I start bringing up our last topic, which is Caden Shedrick played four minutes last night um, against yeah. Florida State. Caden played uh, a total of uh, five minutes um, against Carolina in a game that obviously had a little bit of a different flavor. He played 18 um, and against Syracuse, which obviously, you know, different little flavor. He played 23. I'm not saying his minutes are going to continue to fall off a cliff. I mean, if there's anything you know about Tony Bennett is that like he's very big on the whole, you know, be ready when your number is called. But the writing at least seems to be on the wall that – Ideally, if the thing is working, Virginia would like to go small and would like to play Vanderplas as much as they can. And Shedrick seems to be sort of the odd man out in this. Um, you know, Poppy hasn't played the last couple games, um, played sparingly um, against Carolina. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure how much of a, a mountain we want to make out of this molehill, or if this is just situational. But it certainly seems like. What we've seen from Caden when he has been on the floor is he's just not he's not been anything near the guy that we saw earlier in the season when he would kind of go into beast mode and all of a sudden, you know, tr- you know like kind of feel like like he could change the trajectory of a game. Ferber, what do you what do you make of Caden's situation right now and what's the ideal sort of outcome for him in terms of um, you know, if if this is 
what we're going to continue to see, which is him getting, you know, five, eight, seven minutes a game. What's, what, what's the, what are you, what are you feeling on, on that? Yeah. I mean, I think two things, I think one, it is a little situational. I mean, I think, you know, you saw the, the way the Florida state game played out and then the way this game played out is both teams were like, all right, let's go small. Like it's fine. Um, tech tried to match big for big at one point, And I think they actually kind of got the better of that. Um, like the minutes that Caden played, it felt like I haven't looked at the numbers. It felt like he gave up some buckets and they just weren't as crisp, but ultimately I think it is somewhat situational, but I also think this is sort of what Tony's been trying to do this since the beginning of the season. Like he showed us in, in Vegas that this is what he wants to do because in crunch time he played BVP at five, right? Like, and that, that was against a bigger Illinois team and they still did it last night. Tech would bring in the bigger guy. I forget 15. Um, and like UVA eventually was like, all right, like we're not going to counter with Caden. Like we'll just keep our smaller lineup out there. Um, I think this is what they think is the best five. Um, and I, I, I think it's kind of hard to argue with it right now. I mean, Caden's been very up and down, like, um, we saw it from him last year too, you know, he'd have really good games and then games where he'd be kind of, you know, like a little bit MIA. Um, and obviously like some of that was just sharing minutes with Poppy and things like that too. Um, ultimately, I mean, you're going to need him to like men- mentally have it switched on, even if he's not playing, because there's going to be some games where you're just going to need him. You mentioned Syracuse. There's going to be some other games where, you know, you're just going to want to have him out there and it's going to be to your benefit to have a big guy out there. And he still has the talent. It's just, you know, it feels like, you know, some guys, when they come off the bench, it feels like they, um, they can, you know, they're unaffected by it or maybe even play better off the bench. And then I feel like, you know, when he comes in, it's a little bit more, and I don't mean to start the game. I mean, like period, like coming back in off the bench during games, even if you started, it feels like when he comes back in, he's like, it takes him a little while to get like acclimated to the game. Um, and you know, a few possessions here and there can like swing it, swing a game. So um we'll see i mean if you ask me right now i would say like odds are we're going to see more of the small lineup than than not but there are going to be some games where you know they might not change the starting five but like there's going to be some games where caden plays 20 minutes or so and yeah you're going to need him to to at least not be a net negative out there yeah because dave it feels like not that long ago you know vanderplas was was a guy we were thinking like all right how many minutes you know what's what's the contribution you know um you know, I think about that um, that Pittsburgh game, right, where, you know, he scores two points. He's one of four from the floor, 0 of three from deep. He's minus 11 in the game. I mean, if you had told me he's going to be a big part of a four-game winning streak that was about to happen, I mean, maybe I would have believed you, but I probably would have said, I'm sorry, what? Um, so there are obviously ebbs and flows, right, during seasons. But um, it, it certainly does seem like, um, at least right now, to Ferber's point, like this is the lineup they feel like is their best look. Um, in, and 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 Caden has has had some moments this season where he has clearly been one of the best players on the floor, if not at times. I swear to you, there were moments where you'd have to say, like, yeah, he's the best player on the floor, like he because he could control things at both ends. But man, it does feel like that was a long time ago, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean. You know, BVP is a perfect example of why you shouldn't tweet during the heat of the moment because I've, I've said some things about him in the text thread during that losing streak, which I would be eating crow <laughs> quite you know, quite a lot of crow over. Um, so, But, look, I, I don't know what's going on with Shedrick. When he came in last night, like, 
he struggled um, until the very last possession before the timeout. Um, he made a play there, and then I think he went out right after that. So I don't know what's going. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely something to keep an eye on. You know, um, you know, we'll know in the next few weeks. You know, you know, next few games. I mean, if if it's just a temporary thing or, or what, but you know, I think for Virginia to kind of to be a team that can can make a run in the postseason, they need them. Um, yeah, you're going to play guys that you can't go. You know, you, you can't go small against. Um, now Dunn's emergence might help offset that a little bit because he can play the, you know, he can play the five with the small small unit and give you a little more athleticism or quite a bit more athleticism than than uh, Gardner or BVP can at the five. But you know, if you get up against a guy seven foot tall who's good, you're going to need someone with Shedrick's size. Yep. So. Hopefully it's just a, you know, hopefully it's just a blip. And I think you can point to be a more matchup base because usually it's not like uh, Cafro is getting minutes, you know, it's, you know, if we needed a big and Shedrick was struggling, Cafro would get minutes. That's struggling. Cafro would get minutes. That's the way it works. And, you know, other teams with, with multiple, you know, other teams with, I think right now, Tony's just got a hot lineup and he's trying to keep the, get the momentum going. Um, you know, Shedrick's had ups and you know playing time go up and down throughout his career. So you know, hopefully he'll deal with it and, and be ready when his number is called. But you know, yeah, it, it, if there's one one area of concern for me for the team currently, that's it. Yeah, yeah, I would say too. Like you think about that title team, like, um, you know, in that run, especially like late in the season and into the postseason, it seems like, and it's not a stretch to say this is true, but like it it seemed like. It, the way that UVA played with that roster, they figured out like, all right, we're better off going with a five that has Mamadi in it at the five instead of playing Jack Salt. There, but there were games where Jack had right. to play and played right. a lot, and they needed him to do his thing. There was an ACC tournament game where he scored like twenty points, and then he had the game oh, against Purdue right. where they really needed him to be out there a lot um, because of the way that Purdue played. Right, so like. And then in the national championship, he, I don't even know if he played <laughs> like, you know, he might've played like a minute. Um, and you know, so like, I think that's sort of maybe where we're, I don't, I'm not saying we're, you know, we, we're going to be watching UVA cut the nets down, but like, I think that could be sort of what they're trying to do here is like, we're better off. Like our ceiling is highest when we go small. Um, and right. we're maybe more consistent on the offensive end when we're small, it creates a matchup issue. So we might have to, you know, make some changes ad hoc in the moment. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of what adds to the disappointment from what we've seen from Shedrick recently. It's, you know, even though he's a big, you know, um, he's not Jack Salt, right? Like we thought he's a big, you know, who can, who's athletic enough to, yeah. to like stay on high, the floor when you need to big. go small. Yeah. You know, like a, like a big keel even. Um, and maybe he is. And look, like, yeah, I know people breaking up on the message boards and we should, we should mention it because, he really hasn't been the same since he took those shots in the face, those multiple that's, games. That's a good point. I'm, I, um, that's a really good point. Yeah, so I don't know that that's the reason. Um, you know, it could just be a confidence thing with him. You know, he's not getting his minutes. Um, he's got to guard Trout in practice, and I'm sure Trout's giving him some work too. So that's <laughs> a lot to deal with. Yeah. One last thing before we we, we wrap up um, on this. Not, yeah, not only – you know, I, I still think the kid has a lot of potential. Um, we we are, I think, on some level, all of us to some extent are little creatures of the moment. And what might seem like a concern right now might turn into a you know positive you know down the road. Case in point, 
not only was it not long ago that we were sort of questioning BVP's minutes, but it wasn't that long ago that Ryan Dunn looked really over his head. And that's not to say that there won't be moments this season where that's still the case where, you know, Dunn looks like he, you know, the moment might be too big for him or BVP still, you know, isn't, um, you know, isn't producing. I think really what this kind of goes back to, honestly, is, you know, we were talking about earlier, um, you know, why UVA always seems to have these lulls. And I think part of it comes down to when you play at a pace like this, you have to be efficient. Like you have to score when you don't have as many chances with the ball. Right. And I I think that's a reality. A lot of us have sort of just accepted because that's just sort of the style of play. Um, You know, Tony expects his teams to be good. And so, you know, if that's part of the process, it's part of the process. Um, the reality is, is that, you know, Shedrick has the opportunity. He's going to get the opportunity to earn those minutes back. And Tony has shown he does not care, um, you know, what you did last game or the game before that. He only cares what the matchups say he needs today. Can you do it? And he, you know, the kid has shown he can do it. The question is just being able to do it consistently. And I still think that he, you know, he's a, he is an athletic big who, who, you know, to, to the point, like he's had a, um, a lot of shots to the head, shots to the face this year. He's also still, I mean, the dude has been really messed up with injuries um, that have just come at really inopportune times for him over his career, over, you know, the short time that he's he's been at UVA thus far. Um, what he needs is, some, you know, consistency, right? being able to play without getting hit in the face, um, being able to play without, you know, getting hurt. Um, and he just hasn't had a chance to get that. Um, but there will come a game. Um, you know, where they're going to require, you know, they're going to desperately need him to, to contribute. And, um, you know, I think the best thing that could happen for that kid is to have that edge that, cause I mean, we've seen it, right. You've seen him flip that switch in a game and all of a sudden he goes from being a dude who was just kind of there to a dude who literally just takes over. Um, and I, I think about this team and the potential that they have, and it's hard because you can't pencil in that kind of contributions from him. Cause you just don't know when you're going to get them. And he is the most probably of all that, you know, we've talked before about like sort of the inconsistency that UVA has had to deal with at times this year. Um, he's the most inconsistent piece because the difference between when he's really there and when he's, you know, not on his game is so dramatic. Like the Delta between those two points is huge. And so when he's in that rare air, like they're not just like good, they're great. But when he's not anywhere near there, it makes sense that the best lineup is the small one. And um, hopefully he'll be able to make some contributions uh, here or there um, and, um, you know, sort of put it together kind of like some of the other guys have done. Um, all right. Anything else for the good of the order before we wrap it up this week? You guys good? Uh, one paragraph on the offensive line coach they hired. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That did happen. It took that a month. F- that finally happened. Um, and the window was, closed today. Anything? Oh, that's that's true. Um, yeah, Terry Heffernan, the uh, former um, Stanford and uh, Buffalo Bills um, offensive line coach, assistant and coach, Wayne whatever. State. Don't forget. That, fair. Um, really nice mix of experience for you know, folks who maybe didn't check see it earlier in the week. Um, Ferber did a really nice sort of breakdown of sort of where he's been and what he's done and how it all fits together. Um, I mean, he was on the list that we <laughs> like. You know, the day of, um, you know, it, 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 it got, it's unfortunate that it took this long because you kind of feel like maybe things might have been different for him in the portal if it hadn't. But, I mean, to go as long as it did and for them to end up with a coach, you know, with this kind of resume, I think is, a you know, in some ways a win. Um, we talked about it on the pod last week. I said, like, there are people out there that got fired because their head coach got fired. These people are out there. Like, 
it's not that hard to talk to them. They're looking for jobs, right? <laughs> like, and I think they just finally got around to it, probably at the convention, and and made it happen. It just took a while. Yeah. Um, Dave, what are your what are your general thoughts on on the hire? Well, having having known it days in advance, like <laughs> with with the uh, before Tweetbot died, I could figure it out. Um, no, I think it's a good hire, especially. Look, I'm. I don't know that Virginia is going to get someone with better credentials. Um, certainly not this late in the ball game. So yeah, that's, I think that's a whole separate debate, you know, the timing of it, why it took so long. Um, you know, that's, yeah, we got plenty of time to debate, debate that. Uh, yeah, I think if you, if you think it took too long and it didn't need to, you're probably right. Um, but I, you know, none of us really know what was going on there. So hopefully when Elliot speaks to the media again, we'll get some, more information on that but as far as terry himself um look i mean he had some really you know the offensive lines he had at stanford the last two years weren't great um but stanford only had one player play every game last year on the offensive line had a lot of injuries and um that whole team was bad let's be honest i mean yeah they couldn't do much on offense yeah you know um so yeah i mean i'm excited to see what he can do it's a new face he's got you know, obviously he's got NFL experience. He's learned from a lot of good coaches. Um, he's been an offensive coordinator before. So, it, you know, the question is, you know, what can he do with, with the uh, groceries they bring him? Um, so it's, you know, they got to go shopping. They need, they need some more. Um, and it'll be interesting. You know, the other thing we get so focused, I think just because of the need, but you know, that was a, you know, he's replacing a guy who was arguably, you know, you can argue about, the performance of the offensive line, whatever. The one thing you can't argue about is that two J was kind of the face of the staff to the fans. So who's going to assume that role? Um, I don't know that it'll be Terry, but maybe he's got a little bit of Twitter personality. Um, and how's he going to recruit? Now, obviously he recruited this area for Stanford and he's, he's from the East coast. His wife's from DC. So, I mean, he's from Ohio, but his wife's from DC. So he knows the area. Um, and, but that, you know, he's got his work cut out for him day one. I assume he's probably getting settled in now and hitting the road. So, you know, he's got to go find some guys. I think that's, that's the thing that like, you know, we can talk about how long it took all that stuff. It's going to come down to, can the dude coach and can he get players? Right. Like, and that's the same of anybody. Like we can look at resumes and like, there are clearly like going to be hires that are more like slam dunks than others, but really it comes down to like, can they teach, especially this job, right? It's not like Alabama's offensive line coach. It's like you really just need to be like, can you take a player from where he is to like where he needs to be? And can you get good players, good enough players to come in and play? Like, you know, and we don't know that, to be honest with you. Like, we'll find out. Um, yeah. Solid, solid resume. But like, you know, we don't really know. Same if they had hired, you know, some dude from wherever, like, you know, an FCS school or something like we would have maybe more questions about the resume. But like, that doesn't mean the dude can't coach. So it just kind of. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. I and mean, I think you got to get a guy who can coach. I mean, this is probably a topic for the offseason, but, um, you know, the way you're going to have to recruit the offensive line with NIL and the transfer portal is so much different than it was 10 years ago. You know, you can't, you know, you, you want to carry 15 plus guys on the offensive line because you've got so it takes a while for them to develop. The problem is now, if you're a school like Virginia and you develop them, someone with the bigger checkbook is going to need, you know, between coach turnover, roster turnover there, the need to win right away with all these dollars being spent, you know, 
teams are spending um, and opportunities are there if you're a transfer offensive lineman who's proven he can play at a power five level. So uh, Virginia's going to have to all, and not just Virginia, you know, all the mid-level power five schools or, or, or worse are going to have to figure out how to develop offensive lines. They're going to have to find gems. They're going to have to get development and hope they stick around. Um, so, I mean, I think the one thing we could probably, you know, if you're bringing an offensive line coach that was somewhere else, it's like, who does he have that you might bring, he might bring with him. And I don't know that there's anyone really out there. He's got a couple guys who probably already enrolled at Stanford or, or have signed um, one. I can't remember his name now, but yeah, one Virginia recruited, but, you know, when you're talking about a school like Stanford is so prestigious to get in, like, is that guy going to change you know, if he hasn't already? So that would probably be the one downfall over, you know, other coaches you might've landed, um, you know, the ability to bring guys with them, but we don't know. Yeah. I'm not speaking from a factual thing. I'm just saying doesn't seem to be any smoke about guys looking around now. Yeah. And I, I think ultimately, and we'll put a pin on with this, like, this is the, the the shifting of sands, so to speak, in college football um, with uh, NIL and everything. I feel like what Virginia has to have is a guy who can coach people up, right? We saw on the defensive side of the ball last year um, that you can take dudes like Fentral Cypress who are talented but haven't been getting burned, coach them up, and they play well. Now, granted, somebody with a bigger checkbook or whatever, whatever might come along and um, you know, that's just the way it goes, but you got to be able to, to coach up the next guy. And I think the difference for teams like Virginia, who are kind of in that middle ground between like, you know, they can still kind of steal guys from, you know, sort of the lower tier teams. Um, but then there are other schools that can kind of steal the guys from them, so to speak. Right. Like you're just going to have to coach a bunch of dudes up. Um, and that's just going to be the way it works. And so, I think more than anything else, even probably as much as um, the recruiting piece of it. I mean, the recruiting piece of it obviously is a huge part. I'm not trying to like completely downplay it. I'm just saying like, I still think that getting production and um, you know, developing dudes um, and doing it consistently, like, cause you're going to have to take some guys who are not as surefire as maybe you would like. Right. So you're going to have to turn um, a lot of things in your direction and, that's what they need at a lot of positions and cause they're not going to go out there and, and recruit at an elite level, at least not until they roll off some, you know, really successful seasons over, you know, back to back to back. The, the bottom line on it is, is that he's got to be able to turn whatever he's got into a solid offensive line. Um, I know there are plenty of people out there who have their doubts about that being a, you know, a possibility for this team next, uh, next season. Um, but that is the task ahead for, for him and, and for, you know, other position coaches and, um, on that staff as well. So, all right. If you are somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is to get you, get your programs. And if you're so inclined to give us a rating or review, we would appreciate it. Uh, now if you're somebody who's found the pod has not given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out at calvescorner.com. I mentioned, um, Ferber writing that uh, story on Heffernan the other day, sort of breaking down his um, background. Um, Houston had a story on the Prunty kid from South Carolina who was up for a visit last week. Um, uh, Griff's got a, a, a handful of recruiting stuff on the football side coming too. So definitely give us a look at CavsCorner.com. 
I want to thank My Perfect Franchise for their support of the website and of the show. You can visit MyPerfectFranchise.net for more information on how you can find Freedom Your Neck Venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. And, of course, I want to thank David Ferber graciously. The time, as always, I very much appreciate all that you do. So, for Justin Ferber and David Spence, I'm Brad Franklin, PoultryCatsCore.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.